Well, I was putting the finishing touches on my packing for Germany. We were leaving early the next morning. And it's one of those, it's one of those trips where you have to get up super early, drive to the airport so you can be there super early. And it's one of those trips where if you've flown international, you know that from the time you get up to the time that you finally lay your head in bed, it's probably gonna be about 19 to 20 hours of travel throughout the entire day, which was gonna place us in this small village outside of Dresden, Germany, that we had no idea where it was and no contacts in that community. We were just going uh, because we had been invited. See, uh, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine that I worked with at our church, he, we were exploring a partnership with an international missions organization. And it was going to be an intense week because we had been invited to their yearly international missions gathering. So they're bringing all of their missionaries to one place in this compound that we'd never been to in this small rural village in in outside of Dresden, Germany, and, and my friend was exploring an international church plant, so we were trying to forge relationships, so it was going to be an important week. But, but, but more so than that, it was going to be like this big week because we were anticipating culture shock and language differences. There were going to be missionaries from multiple countries, many of which we wouldn't understand, and it was going to be this time of intense prayer. It was going to be this big, intense, important week for us in our ministry. And I was putting the final packing touches because when you, when you go international like that, you remember like there's not a Walgreens on every corner of the small villages of Dresden, right? Like it's just not going to be there. So, so I'm, I'm, being, I'm doing my due diligence. It's about 8 o'clock at night, and I get this call from one of my most dear and most valued leaders in the church. And I picked up the phone, and she is frantic. She said, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, you, you, you've got you've to help. And I said, well, what's going on? She began to lay the story out of how her, her stepson and his fiance had just made the decision. Well, they hadn't just made the decision. She had just made the decision that she was not going forth with the, the, the coming wedding. And she said, Pastor Jeff, this is crisis. You've got to do something. He is broken. And I went... Eight o'clock before we leave. Like I'm gonna be gone a week. My my family and and I was and I did what any pastor would do. I sounded really excited to make that call. Of course I've got time to make that call, right? And so I, I got on the phone and I called him. Now I knew him. He had been one of those guys in the church that had been um present but peripheral like he came to our Saturday night worship experiences and and uh, he had come because he was a good guy whose fiance came and he like attended but he wasn't all that interested like he was guarded and a bit distant kind of set back watched observed but didn't really lean in there was no real buy-in so I called him out of the blue for him and I said hey man I heard there's some things happening and he just broke on the phone just broke and then he says, hey, I need to meet you tonight. So this is now 8.45, and I said, yeah, uh, have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, God, use me. 
but please consult my calendar <laughs> before you do so. Have you ever had that moment where in your mind you've got this big, important, intense thing that you're preparing for or that you're getting ready for or that you're coming out of or that you're going to go do and then all of a sudden God opens up a door and you're like, not right now. But I was like... Sure, yes, let's do that. So I, I met him at the church. It's now about 9.15 at night. We're sitting in the foyer of the church, and this man just comes unwrapped. He just starts to pour out his heart. And he begins to tell his story. See, the reason why she had ended the relationship is because he had been dealing with a lot of anger. Now, when I say anger, I don't want you to think abusive because he wasn't. You just didn't want to be an inanimate object around him when he got upset. Something was getting smashed and something was getting broken. And, and though, though it, wasn't, it wasn't towards her, it was still emotionally toxic and, and it was still disruptive and she was just done. But then he began to open his story. And it's not a story that I would share here, but it was a story of dysfunction and story of depression and a story of discouragement and addiction. Like he had just laid open the story. And then he says to me this, he says, Pastor Jeff, I think it's time for me to get my life right with Jesus. I want to do that thing that I see all those people at church doing. I, I want to say yes to Jesus. And I looked at him and I said, oh no, hero, that's not how this works. And he looked at me confused and I said, no, 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 no. I said, Jesus is not like a quick fix, easy button where like you have a crisis, you run to him, and then you go back to this, this person who just broke off the relationship and you say to them, don't worry, I'm all better, right? Like that's not how this works. When you get Jesus, you are committing yourself to an allegiance to a Lord that's going to determine and shape the outcomes of your existence regardless of the outcome of this relationship. And I refuse to, in this any moment, give you any guarantee that after you pray this prayer, your relationship is ever healed. I just won't do that because that's not what this is about. And he looked at me and I could tell from the intensity of what I was seeing on his face, he had reckoned with that truth already. And he looks at me and very sincerely says, Jeff, this isn't for her. This isn't for us. This is for me and this is for my son. And if, if I don't make this change now, I'm terrified of what the outcome of my life will look like. And so there at now, 10:15 at night, he began to allow me to take about the next 30 minutes and just share with him the story of the gospel of Jesus. Just laying out this story. And there in that space, in that moment, in that foyer, at about 10:30 at night, I'll come back to that in a minute. We got to get to a different story first. See, our story this morning finds us on a desert road all alone in the middle of nowhere. It's a story of a, of a guy named Philip. See, Philip is one of those characters in the scriptures that I am particularly uh, in, impressed with, even though we have a tendency to read past. So let me give you a little bit of Philip's story. So Acts is this, is this book in which the early church sort of emerges out of the, the movement of Jesus, and they begin to organize themselves. They begin to realize they've got to start divvying up responsibilities. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, there's a certain group of people who had been 
been selected because of their character to provide for the physical needs of the people in the congregations that they served. And Philip was one of those people. He had a big, intense, important responsibility. He had to care for the physical needs of the people that were a part of the congregation. But here's the thing about the Jesus mission and the Jesus story and how good news is compelling is that Philip couldn't contend himself with the big important thing that he had to do. So he found himself moving into spaces and places and doing things that I don't think he was necessarily commissioned to do because he felt like God was calling him to it. So if you follow Philip's story, not only does Philip move beyond just helping people's physical needs, he finds himself in this out of place, nowhere, off limits land called Samaria. Now, Samaria is this land that exists sort of between southern Israel and northern Israel. And, and in order to get to one or the other, you had to sort of either navigate it or get around it. But there wasn't a really good relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews of the day. But this Jesus mission is so cool and so amazing. And the good news is that compelling that it compelled Philip to move beyond where he was to this out of the way, nowhere, kind of off limits place. The kind of place where you would expect no gospel good to happen. The kind of the place where you would expect if a Jew was to show up and start to speak, they would be immediately disengaged. But the story takes an amazing turn. Because when Philip gets there to speak, all of a sudden, people's hearts are opened to this gospel message because the news is just that good. And he begins to share the good news of Jesus, and their lives are transformed. And there's such a hubbub about what is taking place in this moment that the, the religious leaders, the, the early church leaders of the day, they had to come up from Jerusalem to Samaria to see what was happening, and they brought their blessings, and they brought the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this thing went crazy. It's the kind, like, Philip struck ministry gold on his first attempt. It's kind of one of those ministries where it's like, it was so successful, like, build a website, go on a preaching circuit, build a building, right, become an influencer, write a book. It's that kind of experience. God had done a really big, important, intense thing. And when, I don't know about you, but do you, when you have important things come to mind, do you ever have expectations of what that's going to look like, how long that's going to last, what's, what's going to happen next? And I'm sure that Philip, in the midst of all of this good stuff that God was doing, had in his mind expectations of what was going to come happen next. And then we hear this story. This is out of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I love this. This is a great part of the story. So Philip is in Samaria and things are going gangbusters. And then God says, hey, I got something for you. Plucks him out of that big, important, intense situation and drops him in the middle of nowhere by himself on a desert road. And you have to wonder, like, what is going through Philip's mind? I, I think at one point he's probably going, okay, God, this, uh, did you not see what I was able to do back here? Or maybe he's like, maybe he had bought the book, The Prayer of Jabez at one point. He's like, maybe he's just enlarging my territory, <laughs> right? Like, I've been faithful with the little, and now he's going to give me even bigger. And he was getting ready to send him to something big. But you start to wonder, what kind of impact was he wondering he was going to make on the desert road all by himself in the middle of nowhere? 
See, this story reveals a temptation that too often I deal with. And that temptation is sometimes I'm so concerned with the next important thing on my calendar that I miss the immediate need that's in front of me. Anybody, maybe that's just me. Your mind immediately progresses to that next thing, that big thing, that important thing, that thing you've been planning for or doing, that thing you've come out of that you miss the immediate. But, but Philip's story is different. And for me, this is what I love about Philip's story. Listen to what happens next. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, I want to point out something here that's really important in the text. So in this part of the text, it says he met an Ethiopian. And, and though that language is true, it misses a nuance that is in the Greek. The nuance in the Greek is this. It's not just like he accidentally stumbled upon someone who happened to be in the same place. The, the, the language in the Greek is more like he became, he became intensely and keenly aware of the one that was on the road that others would have most often missed. Like he became attended, like he, he, not- he took notice, like he became attended to what was taking place. He wasn't so consumed and concerned by the important things that were demanding his energy, his time, and his mental space that he would miss the importance of this one. He took notice. He paid attention. That's what this particular passage means. He paid attention. He didn't miss the immediate need of this one because he was already looking for the next important thing. Have you ever noticed that sometimes math just doesn't make any sense? Sometimes our sense of purpose What God wants to do in our lives is lost amid the expectations of what we think God should do in our lives. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes in our minds we make up, we believe this is what God should do, and we miss the purpose of what God wants to do right in those moments. Sometimes we're just so prone to look past those only just ones in front of us because we're thinking about where else we need to be. But what if God were actually telling us that that only just one is never just as one as we think it is? See, Philip in this story is playing out a parable of Jesus without even realizing it. That's what I love about this text. So Jesus, having been questioned by a group of religious sort of experts of his day because of the people that he was hanging out with, because Jesus was supposed to be this big, intense, important rabbi, and he was making time for the kinds of people that no one else would make times, and they became criticized for it, and people were constantly calling him into question as a result of it. And then Jesus stops them, and he says, let me, let me tell you a story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? <coughs> Sometimes math doesn't make sense. Listen, I don't know, maybe y'all were different students than I was. If I got a 99 on anything, I was good, right? Like, I w- you get a 99, it's like, oh, that one point, whatever, right? And so, like, I'm looking at this story, and I'm saying, math tells me, like, 99% is really good. Sure, one gets lost. It was probably that one's fault anyways. But God's math isn't our math. The story here talks about the importance 
of the one. Jesus turns our attention to the one. He says that the shepherd takes notice of the one that's missing. He becomes intensely aware of the one that is missing. He's willing to step away from what can feel like big, important, intense stuff to attend to the immediate needs of the one. He goes looking for the one because here's what I think this story reveals to us. And here's what I think the story of Philip reveals to us. If Jesus doesn't attend to or focus on the importance of the one, then any one of us is vulnerable. Any one of us can be disregarded. Any one of us can be dismissed. Any one of us can fall prey to cost-benefit analysis. Any one of us can be devalued. But by valuing that one, Jesus is saying, I put value not only in that one, but anyone and everyone that has found themselves missing or lost or broken. It sends the message to all the other sheep that no matter what happens in your life, the shepherd will always go looking, will always go chasing after the one, no matter where it puts them, no matter where it finds them, no matter what important, big, intense stuff they've got to leave behind. Because when grace is a part of the equation, math doesn't make sense. That's the power of grace. Then Jesus says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors come together and he says, rejoice with me because, because I have found my lost sheep. Don't you love that? That in the rescue of this one, in the ensuing celebration of this one, the one becomes the witness to the only one who wants to save anyone because he loves everyone. That's what this story tells us. And now Philip dropped in the middle of nowhere, dispossessed of what he thought was important, found himself on this desert road, keenly aware of the immediate needs of the one that was going to be right in front of him. And now Philip becomes the embodiment of a grace-filled equation where math doesn't make any sense anymore. So there I found myself sitting with my friend. We're in the foyer, and I shared the story of Jesus and again, he broke. Now, I want to tell you, this is not a guy who breaks often. This was a man's man. This is a truck-driving, Carhartt-wearing, tear-an-engine-block-apart-with-your-hands kind of man. He's that kind of man. But he broke. And that night, I saw what I witnessed to be one of the most genuine, repentant, confessional commitments to Jesus that I'd ever witnessed. And after he prayed, I said, I said to my friend, I said, listen, I, I want to make a commitment to you because I still had to go to Germany the next day. I said, when I come back, you and I are going to start to walk every single week together. And we're going to do, I'm going I'm to disciple you. And he looks at me and goes, I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> I said, we're going to start learning how to read the Bible together. We're going to take this journey together. So I had these, these basic Bible studies that were written by this guy named Chick Shaver. I said, I'm going to walk you through these, and we're going to meet at Starbucks once a week. Now, Jeremy was also one of the guys that I'm pretty sure the first time he stepped in Starbucks was when he met me, but that was him meeting me where I am. <laughs> so we started meeting when I got back. We started meeting every, every week. 
And he was one of those guys that jumped into his, his faith with everything that was in him. I mean, it, w- it became so important to him that I could, give him, I could give him homework. He would take it home. He would do the homework. And then he would come back, and he would be embarrassed. He said, he'd say, Pastor Jeff, I'm sorry. And I said, what, what's wrong? And he said, you told me to read to this amount, but I couldn't stop reading. I just kept reading. And I said, he said, is that okay? And I said, no. <laughs> of course that's okay. And I began to watch something transform in his life. Something began to change in his life. And then he called me one day and he says, Pastor Jeff, you'll never guess what just happened. I said, what's that? And she said, she wants me back. I said, are you kidding me? She said, no. She said, she's noticing the, the change. And it was so funny because I, I knew his stepmom really well. And we, we, we would be in church together and she would do one of these things. She would like point at him and she'd be like, she's like, no, no, no. I'm like, I know, right? Like you have those moments where it's so rich. And I told, I told Jeremy shortly after I married them, isn't it amazing how God can use your story that when the one is rescued by the only one, how that story begins to ripple out and affect everyone. But that's, it gets better than that. So he goes back. He'd been working in the same plant for the last 19 years. He worked the graveyard shift at this plant, had, had done so for years and years and years. And he was known as the angry guy at the plant. And when I say angry guy, like he was angry at everything. He was angry when his equipment didn't work and when it did work. He was angry when they got overtime and when they didn't get overtime. He was angry at his supervisors and his co-work. He was just angry all the time. And then Jesus... And when Jesus got a hold of his life, like that, God began to remove that anger. And he said, he came in one day, he said, Jeff, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what's that? And he goes, my equipment broke. And I looked over and I know that everybody was waiting for me to grab my wrench and start smashing away on my stuff. And he says, he says, I just quietly got out of my cab of my, my machine and I walked down and I just started fixing it. And I looked over and people were like, (laughs) (laughs) and I said, Jeremy, isn't it amazing that when you are rescued by the one, that he becomes the only one that can show everyone what he wants to do for everyone? But it gets better. He comes bounding into Starbucks. Now, Jeremy wasn't a bounder. But he comes bounding into Starbucks one day. He almost so much that he couldn't contain himself. So he comes rushing in. He goes, Jeff, you'll never believe what happened. I said, try me. He says, okay, so like um, it's, it's lunchtime. And for him, lunch is, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's lunchtime. And I walk in the lunchroom. And I step in the lunchroom. And as I step in, I look. And there's this dude sitting by himself over in the corner. And I hear these words, go talk to him. And I went, uh, new. That's dumb. I don't do that kind of stuff. And so, so I just like chalked it away. And then all of a sudden the voice says, go talk to him. And, and I was like, uh, okay. So I like walked over and I sat down next to him. And I said, <laughs> while I told the story, he goes, so I looked at him and I said, dude, this is going to sound really weird. But I think God just told me to come talk to you. And this guy turns and starts crying. He says, man, I'm broken. My alcoholism is going to cost my marriage. He says, I'm a mess. And Jeremy looks at me and goes, dude, that was my story. He's like that. He said, I, I started telling him my story and then I started telling him about Jesus. And now I'm like bounding up and down in my seat and he's looking at me and he's like, what? I said, dude, you're Acts 8. He goes, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> what is Acts 8? 
I said, you're Acts 8. We hadn't gotten that far in scriptures yet. I said, sit down. So he sits down. I said, let me, let me tell you a story. I said, so he started out, and on his way he met this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury in Kanake, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I said, Jeremy, do you realize that the same voice that spoke to Philip on this desert road 2,000 years ago directly him to that one. No matter what he thought he was there to do, he was there for that one. Do you realize that was the same voice speaking to you? And I said, now listen to what happens next. He says, then Philip ran ahead on the chariot and he heard a man reading the Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I love this part of the story. I said, I said, Jeremy, do you realize that God had orchestrated this divine encounter because he knew he could use precisely Philip's story? Philip had been shaped and formed in such a way that he was the one that could be sent to this one who could speak to this one in ways that no one else maybe could. And I said, Jeremy, do you realize when you walked in that lunchroom that you were that one to be sent to this one because you might be the only one who could reach him to demonstrate to him that God loves everyone? And at this point, Jeremy's just, and I said, but it gets better. Listen to what happens next. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. I said, Jeremy, you are Philip. When God rescued you that one night, it was never just about you. It was about all the others that God wanted to reach through you because this is how God works. I said, now, Jeremy, let me tell you something about this story. Most scholars believe that because Philip was on this road all by himself, alone, in the middle of nowhere, and he meets this one person, that it's through this one person, this Ethiopian eunuch, that the gospel of Jesus is introduced the entire continent of Africa. See, Philip only thought he knew what was important. He could have never understood the game-changing ramifications for an entire continent as a result of his willingness to not miss, to only to ever see the one. I said, Jeremy, you have no idea the story change, the life legacy change, the family change that can happen as a result of you being that one to go to that one. Now Jeremy's crying, which he got tired of meeting with me, I think, because of the tears. It wasn't necessarily one prone to that. And he looks to me and he says these words. You mean God can use me that way? And I said, can, did use you that way. You are Philip. And I walked away from that encounter at Starbucks and Jeremy discipled me that day. Because that day he reminded me of how often I am so often moving from one important thing to the next and I miss the immediate need of the one in front of me. And I thought to myself, what if Jeremy's story and Philip's story and the shepherd looking for the one story became my story? What if I became keenly aware, attendant, paid attention to the one that was front of me all the time? Because in God's math, that's the one that matters in the moment. Because when grace is at work, the equation doesn't make any sense. And then I got to thinking about what would it look like for his church to be that kind of people that only 
ever paid attention to the one that was right in front of us the whole time? What if God could use you in just that way? What if the same voice that spoke to Philip, the same heart that compels the shepherd, the same voice that speaks to Jeremy, is the same voice that speaks to you? The question would be, who would be your one? And maybe you know who your one is right now. And it's time to go stand next to their chariot. Because you might be the one that could meet that one as the only one that can tell them about the only one that loves everyone who can save anyone. Let's pray. Father, bring to our heart and our mind who that one is. And teach us to prioritize that one. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can transform anyone and everyone. We trust you, Lord, that you're going to be faithful with your people here at ECN because this is a place where anyone can find the hope of the only one that matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.